Welcome to Careers in Crescendo, Lessons for Musicians. I'm your host, Jeff Dunn. Today on the podcast, Rachel Smith chats with Crystal Sellers Battle about the upcoming Context Conference at the Eastman School of Music. Dr. Battle is the Associate Dean of Equity and Inclusion at Eastman and the Director of the George Walker Center for Equity and Inclusion in Music. The Context Conference is taking place at Eastman November 3rd and 4th of 2023, and registration is still open for individuals and groups. Please learn more and register online at esm.rochester.edu context. This conversation was recorded last spring, so you'll hear Rachel and Dr. Battle reference some things that have already transpired. Nonetheless, I think you'll find this discussion about the conference interesting, and I hope it inspires you to do important work and join us this fall in Rochester for what is bound to be a groundbreaking event. Enjoy the conversation. So this is your one year anniversary today of coming to Eastman. It is my <laughs> one year. After all this time, one year is finally here. <laughs> it's some in some moments it feels like I've been here two seconds, and then in some moments it feels like I've been here ten years. So it just depends on what day. But at this moment, it feels like I've been here exactly a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so cool that we finally get to record, and it's like it's like today. It's today <laughs> of all days. It's amazing. It's awesome. Okay, so um, the Context Conference is going to happen. Mm-hmm. The first Context Conference at Eastman, November mm-hmm. 3 to 4, November right? November 3 and 4, yeah. Yeah. So um, you want to uh, tell us a little bit about the birth of the Context Conference? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So um, the Context Conference or the concept of a conference around equity and inclusion in music has been a dream of mine for a while. Um my experience as an African-American in a classical music environment and education has always been interesting. So um, there have been some things that some people that were not African-American understood, and there were some things that they didn't. And there's also pieces of other folks' identities, race, ethnicities, gender, gender identities that I cannot speak to, but I want to understand more Mm -hmm. about. And what does that mean in the context of music? And so when I was thinking about one of the things that I wanted to do pretty early on in my time at Eastman was to bring the nation together, national music schools, music organizations, thinking about this topic. Um, But not just thinking about the topic, I chose context as the title for a reason. There are so many conferences that give us information on how to think about equity and inclusion, but they don't always give us the tools and context for the institutions and areas that we work in. And so this conference is more about actually beyond the good ideas, how do you contextualize it for what it is that you're trying to do? And in our changing world, in our changing country right now, in the lens of equity and inclusion. So the birth of it was really taking the ideas a step farther and allowing people to understand how they can make it work for where they are. Yeah, this is really amazing because I do feel like there has been a lot of talk. Like, there's always conversations going on, but it's about time that we actually, like, start implementing some of the ideas that we've had. Absolutely. So I feel like this is going to be a really big thing. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. On the website, uh, you list, like, these five like pillar focuses of the conference Mm -hmm. we have like classroom innovation and curriculum shift ensemble and applied area repertoire at performance practice Mm -hmm. 
community engagement and recruitment and retention. Mm -hmm. So you want to talk about a little bit about like each of these areas and like what we're what we're kind of going to be talking about. Absolutely. Um, and so because this is the first conference, I kind of wanted to see if I could touch as many corners of this work as possible. I think in subsequent years, as we continue the conference, we may focus on one of these five conversation areas, but I really wanted to get our feet in the water of each of them. So classroom innovation was about how we teach and are we making sure that the ways in which we teach are connecting to all sorts of students? So, you know, we've heard a lot of people use concepts like universal classroom design and making sure that we have um, different elements of being culturally responsive and um, gender neutral and a lot of elements that are part of our teaching. So really what I wanted Classroom Innovation to do was to help us think about how we're teaching and making sure that it's connecting with every student. Curricular shift was about what we're teaching and making sure that what we teach is really authentic representation of our culture right now. So if we are only teaching dead white men, then what's happening there? There's some work that we need to do in that regard. And so I really wanted to have a conversation about what it is that we're teaching and making sure that it's culturally relevant and historically accurate. Then the um, ensemble and applied area performance practice and repertoire was really about expanding this word that we've called the canon. We've talked about the musical canon for so long. And in a lot of people's eyes, canons are a finite thing. Like, oh, well, only these composers belong in the canon. And mm -hmm. if you put something else in, then you have to take something else out. And I don't right. think that's necessarily yeah. the case. So the work is about helping people to understand how we can expand the canon, but then also helping us to make sure that when we are performing things, that we are doing them in a productive and accurate performance way. So, for instance, making sure that if we're going to sing a, a piece by an indigenous composer, that we make sure that we have the proper context and nuances so that we are doing it in an appropriate way. Mm -hmm. I am a proponent that I believe everyone can sing the spiritual, but I want to make sure that they know that there's a cultural context under which the piece was written and making sure that we're performing it so that we honor that. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was thinking about in that regard. Recruitment and retention is really about how do we recruit faculty, staff, and students of varying identities, race, ethnicities, that sort of thing, and do it in a way that we don't feel like we're tokenizing them. How do we authentically bring new perspectives into our institutions and make them feel welcomed, all identities, races, ethnicities, gender, varying abilities, all of those elements? Um, and so that's what the recruitment and retention is about. And some of the challenges that we have related to those components. And then the last community engagement, we can't make music in a vacuum. So how do we take what we're doing and enhance the community around us as a result of it? So it's wonderful to just create music that's only going to be heard in the concert hall. But if we aren't creating, a, filling the void of a musical desert or a place where music isn't really being introduced to people, then are we really doing the work? So that's where those ideas came from. Wow. This is, this is so cool. At least from what I've experienced at Eastman, like we have a lot of things pertaining to like early music performance practice and not so much in the eras after that, specifically about performance practice. Mm -hmm. And like we we play that music all the time, um, but there's there's not a lot about like how it was performed, like when it was first written. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that music wasn't created in a vacuum. We can study the the you know the famous dead white men that we talk about all the time. We can study Beethoven. We can study Haydn and Mozart and Schubert and Schumann and Berlioz and all of them. But they were writing in a context of what was happening in their 
environments at the time. We can't talk about Verity Opera without thinking about that Verity was writing as a response to what was happening at his time. And so it's the same way with new music. But for some reason, we just sometimes think about performing it for accuracy, but not always thinking about performing it for understanding the context under which it was written and bringing that context to the audience who's listening. Yeah, this is this is so fantastic because I really feel like we do kind of we kind of lack in that area of especially like 18th and 19th century mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. performance practice. Absolutely. Um, and so this is this is really really cool. Mm-hmm. I think a lot about what can we do with music outside of the concert hall, because a lot of times they really only cater to a very small audience, I guess. And but there are so many other audiences and so many in so many different context and yes absolutely that, yeah <laughs> that that um that they need music too absolutely absolutely and when we think about it a lot of the music that we've revered and put into the concert hall wasn't originally written to be performed there it was written to be performed in the public square or in the ballroom of the home of the aristocracy or you know it was written to sing and serenade one's love i mean though that's where those things were we've elevated it to a place where we feel like it only belongs in the concert hall but a lot of this music wasn't made for that mm-hmm. um it was popular music of its day and so how do we bring that out and not only are we bringing it out but i want to make sure that when we are bringing the music out of the concert hall and we're performing it for different communities that they feel like they were authentically welcomed and not just that these people are coming to perform for them to do them a favor. So you don't want to go into a community and make them feel like you are only going to perform for them because I am here to do a service for you. What I want people to feel like is that there's a reciprocal element that can happen. You can learn from your audience and your audience can learn from you as well. Absolutely. I don't think we often think about like particularly the audience and also the space absolutely and there's there's so much that we could do there mm-hmm. there's ways that we could make these things I think a lot more relevant like to our performances absolutely it's funny that you mentioned art because the culmination of this conference is a concert called classics with a twist mm-hmm. and um, the vision of this has been one of my goals has been if we want to acquire a new audience for classical music we have to do something different Um, those that are enjoying it right now or are of a generation that is getting quite old and may be passing on soon. So how do we innovate and how do we create a new environment for a new set of um, performers Mm -hmm. and um, listeners and audiences? And so I wanted to do something that was going to be the culmination of all the things we've talked about in the two days of the conference. And so I was thinking about it, and actually I was motivated by a show on Netflix called Kaleidoscope, where the show is framed so that you Netflix will create a unique watching experience for you. And based on how you start, you may see the, the episodes in different orders. And so we were watching, my husband and I were watching this show with another couple We started on like the pink episode. They started on the orange episode. Well, the thing is, the whole concept of the show is a bank heist. And so each show is a certain amount of time, either before or after the bank heist. And so we started two weeks before the bank heist. The couple we were watching it with started six years before the bank heist. But it was so cleverly written that we still were able to get the, the gist of it 
even though we were looking at two totally different episodes at the same time. Wow. So what I decided to do is that in the Memorial Art Gallery, we're going to have performers playing in different areas of the museum. And people will navigate through the performance differently based on when they arrive to the space. Mm -hmm. So some people may see the people that are going to be in Fountain Court first. Another person may see someone who's playing outside first. Someone else might see who's playing in this location. They're all going to hear the same music, but they're going to experience it in a different order. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that, and then not only that, the pieces that are being performed are pieces that we know and are associated with one genre, and it's going to be reimagined through another one. So, for instance, one of my friends is taking the jazz piece, Take the A Train, and turning it into a piano fugue. So taking a jazz piece and thinking of it from a very classical perspective. And so the idea is we're going to not only change the way people view the experience, but we're also going to change what they hear, too. And then at the end, there's going to be a dessert reception. So people then can sit around and talk about how they experienced it differently because they went through a different pathway. So... The idea is how can we be innovative and take the music outside of the concert hall, we're actually going to put it into the museum, and see what experience people will have as a result of doing that. Wow. That is so cool. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. So uh, are these concerts, like, going to happen? Like, where in the schedule are they going to happen? So the, the Classics with the Twist concert is actually happening on Saturday night as the culmination. And so all of the attendees will have access to shuttle buses that will take them from Eastman Campus over to MAG and bring them back. And so it starts. Uh, we're going to have people gather between 7 and 7.15 so that they can scan in. They're going to scan a QR code, and that's going to tell them which order they're going to go through. Um, and then, then the concerts, the performances start at 7.30. People will be shifting to new locations. And we're going to have a time to assign so that there's not traffic jams as people are going from different locations. And, uh, and so they'll enjoy about a, it's about a 75-minute concert with all the transitions. And then afterwards, there'll be a dessert reception and time for people to enjoy the experience. Wow, I can't wait. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be there. <laughs> yeah, so that concert is on the um, on the Saturday evening. We also have another lunchtime concert that's going to happen on the Friday, and that's going to be new pieces by new composers that are underheard. Um, and so they will be performing on the Saturday in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that's really big for me is I feel that if you go to a music conference, you should get some music. You'd be surprised how many music conferences you go to and there's not a lot of music. So, uh, so that was the concept there. Do you have a musical idea that you'd like to make a reality? The IML Mentorship Grant provides students with opportunities to receive funding and mentorship to encourage new thinking and the development of innovative ideas in music. Launch your idea with the IML. Cool. So who are the, can, like, can you talk about the composers that are going to be? Uh, I, oh boy, now you're calling on me to think of something off the top of my head. So now <laughs> it's going to take me a minute to find it. But there are, um, there's a, a trio called Roots 2, and I cannot remember who it's by, but Tony Caramia has been really interested in bringing this piece to the fore. It's for piano, clarinet, and cello. 
it's a five movement work and the composer is skipping my mind right now, but I'll find it. And then there's another piece that's called Flood that was written for spoken word and two trombones and um, audiovisual needs. And it's really talking about the response after Hurricane Katrina. And so it's these pieces that are talking a little bit about cultural context and what is happening at the time. And so I'm really excited about being able to share those pieces during the lunchtime concert. They'll get an opportunity to speak about it, but then also perform it for the audience as well. Wow. Awesome. So circling back to the topics, mm-hmm. um, what kinds of what kinds of guest speakers and like presentations are going to be? Wow. There? It's it's a pretty amazing um, group of people that are going to be presenting at this. And I can give you some of them. I'm thinking about just right off the top of my head in the um, performance practice area, we're going to have someone who's going to be talking about the Afro Creole songs of um, Louisiana. We have someone who's going to be talking about how to perform gospel music in an authentic way. We have someone talking about how to program choral music in a way that it engages both the students and the audience. I have another one that's talking about how they developed, this is more in the community engagement piece, but how they developed a youth string chamber orchestra and how they were using that to really do some development in the community. Um, We have another group that's going to be talking about how they're using art and music in a summer camp for people with varying abilities. I mean, you name it, there's so much. There's a lot of uh, conversations about how to rethink music theory curriculum and the oral skills curriculum. Um, that's a part of the conversation. <laughs> that's there's, definitely something we yeah, need. Yeah, <laughs> so there, I mean, you name it. There are so many really innovative things. There's a group that's coming to talk just about the Chicana music, so female Mexican composers, and we're, they're going to share a little bit of music from them. Uh, it's so many amazing things. There will be about 52 sessions. 52. 52. So they'll be, of course, they'll be offered simultaneously. So people are going to have to choose and it's going to be a difficult decision. But uh, there are so many sessions that are going to be presented. My dear friend, Dr. Lisa Beckley Roberts, she's going to be presenting a session on just the overall view of how we think about curriculum overall, not just thinking about it from the various topic areas, but how are we thinking about what the music degree looks like from an equity and inclusion standpoint. And I am giving a kind of opening general session address, and mine is going to be about, by that time, we may potentially be post-affirmative action because that is something that the Supreme Court is thinking about voting down over the next few weeks. Mm -hmm. And we're also at a place where a lot of states are wanting to get rid of equity and inclusion work. And so my conversation is going to be about now what? Because just because people are getting rid of these things do not mean that they're not still necessary. So how do we do the work of equity and inclusion even when there are elements telling us you can't do it? It's very necessary. Um, and so I'm going to be talking a little bit about how to do that work in, in light of what's going on in our country. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Wow. Dr. Lisa Beckley Roberts. Mm-hmm. So yes. <laughs> I, I, I looked through her. I looked through her, her bio mm-hmm. a little bit on the website. She has done a lot yes I was like reading through it I was like oh my goodness she's been everywhere yes she's been everywhere and done everything actually right now she I think she may be traveling no she hasn't traveled back yet she's currently in the Gambia right now um she's doing some work um she has a um African drumming and dance ensemble that she works with at Jackson Mm -hmm. State and through some um, funding through the embassy they are now in the Gambia getting authentic instruments and learning some traditional dance in the Gambia and so she's actually there right now I'm jealous 
this, but yeah, that's where she is. Oh, but wow. um, Lisa and I started working together in the summer of 2020, right after the George Floyd murder. There were a lot of people wanting to have conversations about how do we as musicians and music organizations understand what happened and then respond. Mm-hmm. And so she and I were being asked to do a lot of talking about a lot of things. And so finally, she and I just sat down and were like, maybe we should start a consulting firm about this. And so we decided to sit down and and put some things together. And if we hadn't, I probably wouldn't be in this position because that has afforded me the opportunity to talk about it. But it is something she and I both have been doing for a long time. She's an African-American harpist. Mm-hmm. And so every time she would go and play with an orchestra, invariably people would ask her, was she there delivering the instrument for someone else? Not, was she the actual harpist? Oh, man. Um, because there was an assumption that she was African-American. There was no way she could be the harpist. And so her experiences have been very challenging um, as it relates to that. And so... Um, and she's a you know phenomenal human and doing some really great work, especially with the historically black colleges. And and so it was a no-brainer for me to ask her to be a part of this because we've been doing this work together for some time. Wow. She doing more than one session or does yes. she just so have she one main will, session? She will be presenting the one main session, but we also have another session that is being, we just found out yesterday that we received a grant from Sigma Alpha Iota, the national organization. And so we're going to do a panel about women in leadership in music. Oh, and cool. um, as a result of that, she'll be on that panel, but then she'll also be a part of the network lunch that we'll be having with those panelists and members of SAI. And there will be some networking that we'll create for the students who are part of SAI and kind of give them an older sister through some of the people that are on the mentorship panel. And so she'll be a part of that as well. So we're really excited about the opportunity. And there will be some other music leaders, Dr. Melisina Morris. She's a retired um, music educator or music um, administrator. She's been at Peabody. She's been at Ohio State. She's Now she kind of goes in and does consulting work in uh, music leadership. And so she's based in Baltimore, Maryland, but she's going to be there having a conversation with us during that day. Katarina Bristol, who is the Dean of Graduate Studies for Alabama State University. Abra Bush, who is the Dean of the School of Music in Indiana um, and maybe myself it depends on how busy I am but uh, <laughs> conversations and the title of it is women in music leadership the good the bad and the ugly oh so. my goodness that's that's so exciting yep. I'm so excited U of R and Eastman faculty, staff, and students will get in free to all yeah. of the daytime sessions. <laughs> However, they will have to purchase a ticket to the opera or classics with a right. twist, but yeah. there's a reasonable rate for that. And then um, there's a special, there's also a special fee for um, U of R and Eastman alumni. But the conference is really for everyone. Um, I think what makes this conference unique is that we're going to be talking about equity and inclusion in music, but we're not doing it from a particular organizational standpoint. So for instance, ACDA has been talking about it. Nats has been talking about it. Um, You know, string organizations have been talking about it. All the instrumental guilds have been talking about it. But usually there's like minds at those conferences. There's very rarely a conference where you're going to see everyone from the K through 12 teacher, the person who teaches their own private studio, all the way through someone who's at a professional music organization, all together in the same space engaging in this conversation. That sounds great. <laughs> um, Jeff also mentioned that um, that this is going to be a paperless conference. It is. We are hoping to go all digital. So we are going to use a conference app. 
um, that will allow everyone access to conference materials, will allow them access to network with each other. Um, the idea that I wanted to do is I wanted to be considerate of our environment and not print a lot of paper if I didn't have to. And then I think there are also some elements of making a conference digital that allows people of varying abilities and varying needs to have access to the things that they need at their fingertips rather than having to worry about seeing for far distances and that right. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and so TNMP loves me. They're going to boost the uh, Wi-Fi capabilities on campus during those two days. But, um, but the idea is to make it digital so then people also have opportunities to reflect back on the materials. Um, and it gives us access through this conference app that for three to six months after the conference, people can still network with each other through the conference app. Oh, that's mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, so that's going to be amazing. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> yep. If someone is, like, coming from out of town, like, mm -hmm. where could they stay? So we have hotel blocks at two hotels in Rochester. If you just do a Google search for Context Conference 2023 at Eastman, you'll get to the page. Yeah. But on there, there's a um, travel and lodging link that will take you directly to the discounted hotel room blocks that we have at the Hilton Garden Inn as well as the Hyatt Regency. And so um, I've been telling people and encouraging them to get their book their rooms yeah. quickly so they'll be able to get the discounted rate. Um, but yes, both of those will be available for people to stay. There will also be options if people want to look for their own Airbnbs and other options. But um, those two hotels have conference blocks set aside specifically for this conference. It's awesome. Yes. So you said that there's going to be 52 sessions so so where are all of these sessions so going to be located so there will be um there will be on average six sessions happening every hour okay so basically we have you know i think we have enough for 54 sessions but we're only gonna have 50 so how many is that that's like eight hours, nine hours of workshop sessions over the two days. And so people will have to choose and they'll have to make some pretty difficult decisions. But the bonus about the fact that we're doing this as a digital app, they would still be able to get access to the course materials for the courses that they don't even make it to. And so that was another reason why we wanted to be able to make it digital. So then even if someone misses one component, they'll still be able to connect with others mm -hmm. just from going to, you know, one session doesn't preclude them from getting what they need for another one. So are they going to be split between like Eastman and U of R? Or uh, they no, they will all be in various places on campus. So we, um, so they'll all be over here on this space. We'll have some of them in Lowry Hall. We'll have some over here in Miller Center. There will be spaces everywhere. We'll also have um, an exhibition space on the second floor in Kaminsky. Oh, cool. Where there'll be different organizations that may be doing exhibitor pieces. Some of our presenters who are authors will have an opportunity. They'll have a book corner, so they'll be able to sell some of their books if they have those available. Um, and then Kaminsky will kind of be kind of the coffee hangout spot if people just need to take a break. Um, <laughs> that'll be an option as well. But we are hoping to have people, you know, moving back and forth between these two buildings over those two days. So, Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, this sounds like it's going to be just a really, really exciting two days. It's going to be great. I, I will probably like go to sleep for, you know, a week afterwards, but <laughs> it'll be fine. I think it's um, it's really amazing what what is happening. And um, and I'm thankful for the support, not only of Eastman, but also from all of you of R who has really wanted to support this idea happening and doing everything they can to make some wonderful things happen. So I'm super excited about it. 
Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna clear my schedule. Please for do. It's gonna be worth it for days. those two days. I'm it's a Friday <laughs> and a Saturday, but um there are so many things I, I couldn't even I know I didn't touch the tip of the iceberg of the types of things that are gonna be presented um at the conference, but it's just it's pretty amazing what we're gonna have. Yeah. All right, well it was great talking to you about this. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This was a wonderful opportunity to share about something I've been so passionate about and it's kind of enveloped my life over the last few weeks. <laughs> Today's episode of Careers in Crescendo Lessons for Musicians was produced by Kelly Jetsum. The music was written and produced by Will J, and the artwork designed by Joyce Sang. As always, if you have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us via our website at iml.esm.rochester.edu. If you like this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues and leave us a review on your preferred streaming platform. This podcast is a production of the Institute for Music Leadership at the Eastman School of Music. The views expressed in the podcast are the interviewees and do not represent the Eastman School of Music or the Institute for Music Leadership. From the IML, I'm Jeff Dunn. See you next time.